All right, so this is Todd Atkins, and uh, today I'm going to release a few more episodes. These are all episodes I've already done. And uh, this one I did with uh, Tim Lewis, who has his own kind of like analytics uh, site that he does or um, database, which is called Scraptitude. And uh, a lot of time he predicts fights based on the numbers, not on opinion or feelings. It's all based on statistics. So this is something where we're going to talk about statistics going into UFC 280, and you can listen to it and see how the statistics played out as far as picking fights by the numbers goes. I think uh, picking fights by statistics are interesting. You know, a lot of other sports do it. It's really not something that's uh, necessarily all that common in MMA, although I think gamblers are probably using some of the analytics. And uh, we'll see how the uh, numbers played out for this one based on what his predictions were and what happened in the fight or in the event itself. And as always, uh, thanks for listening and take care. How's it going? What's up? All right. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's been too long, man. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we said we were going to do it for UFC 280, and here we are. Yes. So people that haven't seen you on my show before, maybe you could introduce yourself and let them kind of know what you do. My name is Timothy Lewis. I'm a man of many names uh, and pseudonyms, but uh, mainly what I do is I uh, produce the Scraptitude podcast. Uh, I co-own the brand with Jeffrey Akins, and my, our specialization is in mixed martial arts analytics, an underdeveloped field. And I do a uh, pay-per-view by pay-per-view a podcast called Tim Talk that's very data-centric and helps people place their bets ahead of these landmark UFC events. And Tim's Tea, right? Tim's Tea. Tim's Tea, yeah. We're going to have to bring back Tim's Tea, do some more video content. Uh, <laughs> but we've been, in the, we've been in the lab behind the scenes trying to develop some really thought-provoking and innovative stuff. And uh, hopefully once we've got that ironed out, uh, we want to we bring a, a data analytics website to the people. I've been talking to you about that for a long time, but we finally have everything mapped out, Todd. We have the scope of work. We have the visuals. And we're, we're trying to bring the creation to life and provide something new and useful to the MMA community. Now, do you want to do the, the four fights or do you want to do the three? You know, you said three, but I'd be remiss if we did not talk about my guy, Mataj Gamrat here. Uh, I'm assuming okay. that's the fourth fight you're speaking to. Yeah, let's go ahead and start with that one since he's, All right, he's starting to become a scraptitude, uh popular uh, individual, much like Uncle Lyle. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I love my Polacks. I've got some Polish ancestry. Uh, but Mataj Gamera, he's just one of those guys where I saw him fight and I had to look into him. And so I looked into the numbers and it was extremely impressive. Uh, he was a two-division KSW champion. He has a high level of competition that he's faced, despite the fact that he's only been in the UFC for a short period of time. And we see in the lightweight division the domination of uh, the grappling prowess uh, and from Khabib Nurmagomedov to now uh, um, – What's his face? Uh, Islam Makachev and Charles Oliveira. But Mataj Gamrat is kind of the forgotten man in that equation. Right. ADCC Europe champion, uh, tremendous wrestler, very good athlete, uh, you know, complex submission profile. This guy's really got it all as a grappler. And like many submission grapplers lack, he actually has that takedown acumen, that, that wrestling in his back pocket, and he uses it, uh, and he uses it often. Yeah, I think he's unique because he can he goes for the low single a lot, which you don't see in a, he does. Yeah, in most people. Yeah, and, and I mean he kind of takes the uh, the knee out of the equation there by uh, by doing that, 
and he covers ground so quickly. That's what really makes it work for him. He's able to traverse these distances, and he's on guys before they know it. A lot of guys you see shooting from far out, it looks bad, but not when Gamrot does it. So what do the numbers say as far as him fighting Dariush? Well, Dariush, uh, his statistical profile came back a little bit better than expected, but even still, he's below uh, Gamrot in a number of categories. The thing I respect about Dariush is he doesn't allow his physical limitations to uh, stymie his approach in the octagon. He's, a bit, he's got a lot of skills. He's kind of awkward. He has power. He has submissions. Uh, uh, but at the end of the day, he doesn't have a, a great athletic profile, from, from my eye at least. We don't have athletic testing in the UFC. But he seems kind of slow out there. But he doesn't allow that to, to um, hinder him. He goes for it all the time. He's constantly trying to finish fights, and sometimes to his own detriment, as emphasized by his 15% loss by finish rate. For those who don't know, he's lost 15% of his career fights by finish. Yeah, and, you know, it's inter I always love talking to you because you go by the numbers. So what do the numbers say for Gamrot versus Darius as far as how it's won? Uh, well, what's very interesting to me is that they actually have kind of similar approaches in that they, if, they, if they can, they want to take their opponent to the ground and use their grappling pedigree. Uh, but in both uh, in submission grappling and in terms of wrestling, uh, Mataj Gamrot's credentials outpace those of Dariush. Uh, he also lands more takedowns per round than Dariush, but just the eye test could tell you that he's a, he's a flat-out better wrestler. Um, in terms of the overall statistical profile, I mean, uh, Dariush actually lands more significant or has a better significant strike differential per round. Uh, but some of that to me has to do with the approach of Mataj Gamrod. He's, he's not like a volume striker. He kind of sneaks in his shots and balances that with his grappling more effectively, whereas we'll see Dariush in extended stri uh, striking exchanges. Um, uh, uh, one thing to note is that while the difference in UFC, there's a difference in UFC experience here, and that would lend people to think that Dariush has this much higher quality of experience than Mataj Gamrot, the numbers don't really bear that out. And actually, Mataj Gamrot's opponents have a higher uh, opponent win rate, and he has a higher average opponent wins, which means the average opponent of Mataj Gamrot has more wins than the average opponent of Benil Dariush. The numbers there are 15 0.64, which is the most out of any fighter on the card for Gamrot, to 12.46, which is a solid number for Benil Dariush, but uh, clearly uh, lower. So I think that's what people are misinterpreting about Mataj Gamrot. Not only has he won at a very high rate, but he's also done it against very good competition. Now, when we get to O'Malley versus Jan, this is the one that I'm kind of curious about. Well, even the Dillashaw fight i'm also curious about but o'malley yawn do the mm -hmm. numbers say that yawn runs him over or what what are you seeing there that's what i'm seeing and i mean of course i, I had my priors about this fight my priors told me that sean o'malley was going to get killed um but going of course that's why i do the numbers and i try to really be balanced in weighing my my prior assumptions with what the data says to me that's what happened with this uh man on uh, fior versus caitlin chukajian fight um I, I, my priors told me Chukajian uh, could take that one, but then I, as I looked into it, um, uh, there was there was just certain things that worried me about her, namely her uh, her um, even significant strike differential. I, I she kind of seems like a compiler type of striker. Anyways, I don't want to get too much into that one, but going man, shot for shot with Man Furo, with like, like the numbers suggest she might, that doesn't look like an advantageous type of fight to me for Caitlin Chukajian. For Sean O'Malley, 
it, uh, the stats bear it out that his strength of competition hasn't been that high. I mean, great, he puts in highlight reel performances against Julian Paeva and Chris Moutinho, but we saw what happened when he stepped up and fought Marlon Vera. Um, another thing to consider about Sean O'Malley is that he's had these uh, PED busts in the past, these Osterine busts, which uh, they say come from tainted supplements, uh, but it, but it's, it's, it's something to watch for. I mean, I, I know all these guys are on steroids, but um, uh, getting caught with something like Osterine isn't, isn't a good reflection. But get it, getting into the numbers, they're, they're hard to weigh for O'Malley in one context because some things like a significant strike differential are heavily inflated. His knockdown rate is heavily inflated because he's fighting nobodies that are oftentimes like uh, old flyweights or guys that aren't uh, top 15 level. Uh, Perrion, meanwhile, has that strong uh, strength of schedule, and he's done formidable things to formidable opponents. So to me, it's just an issue of people are going to wake up to this fight and realize that sh what Sean O'Malley does, he can't do against this level of competition. And we saw a little bit of, uh, of that against Pedro Munoz when his dynamic striking profile was reduced to long-reaching right hands. Uh, so that's kind of what I expect to see here is Petr Jan's high-shell defense, uh, Sean O'Malley trying to figure out a way in, and ultimately getting bludgeoned to a second or third round knockout. If the fight does go as you expect, and I kind of expect, why do you think the UFC did it? I think the UFC is, well, first of all, it's, it's, a, it's a name on this card. The UFC has kind of botched the handling of this bantamweight division, though, in my opinion. Of course, they see the dollar and cents there with O'Malley, but the matchmaking made little sense to me. Marab versus Aldo made little sense because Marab isn't going to fight the champion, Aljamain Sterling. Um, so to me, it made a lot more sense to match up Marab and Petr Jan, who has already gotten two cracks at the belt there. Uh, then there's Marlon Vera, who's just now just hanging about because Petr Jan kind of shied away from that fight. And... Uh, and Marlon Vera could have been paired up with, um, uh, well, uh, Henry Cejudo has been looking for a fight. Um, but uh, I, I don't know why they made this fight. It's really, it's really questionable for me. I think it's mainly because of Twitter banter and them trying to get Petr Jan on this Abu Dhabi card. I think that's, that's what it is. And Sean O'Malley said, yes, Petr Jan's there for a paycheck. And reportedly they promised both these fighters a title shot should they win, which is... Um, a little annoying to me, considering how much allure can there be for Petr Jan, who's going to dominate Sean O'Malley, getting that third crack at, at, at Aljamain Sterling. Oh, yeah, TJ right. Dillashaw. That's the other player there. TJ Dillashaw should be fighting uh, Marlon Vera, or he should be fighting um, Henry Cejudo again for that rematch. Something like It's just very odd that they promoted TJ Dillashaw to this point of the division after a questionable performance against Sam Hagen. They're putting Petr Jan in almost a set-me-up fight for another title shot. And Sean O'Malley, while he's a fan favorite, while he has an exciting style against a lower caliber of opponent, he just doesn't merit this opportunity. And that's going to show, because once these guys are locked in the cage, the truth comes out. Now, I think the last two fights are pretty competitive. What do you think about Dillashaw and uh, um, Algermain? The Dillashaw versus Algermain Sterling fight is interesting from a stylistic perspective. I agree. I kind of expected TJ Dillashaw to pop a little bit more uh, in his statistical profile. Um, uh, I know that, I, that the FDR statistic, which isn't currently used in it, because uh, I don't, don't really view it as a predictive metric, uh, but that loved TJ Dillashaw. Uh, however, to me in this fight, while stylistically it's intriguing, you've got TJ Dillashaw, who's a good wrestler. He's going to be uh, on paper hard to take down, and he has this uh, the striking with some real pop to it. 
uh, against a questionable striker in Aljamain Sterling. And I see why people are like, you know, kind of throwing some flowers out there on TJ Dillashaw are a little bit curious. The odds right now, Aljamain Sterling is like a minus 180. So he's not even a, a two to one favorite here. But I thought TJ Dillashaw looked so-so against Corey Sandhagen. I had him losing that fight. Uh, when we look at the way that Aljamain Sterling manhandled Sandhagen versus how much difficulty TJ Dillashaw had with his wrestling, I think he shot two for 17 on takedowns in that fight. To me, that uh, expresses the difference in physicality between these two guys. Aljamain Sterling is a huge bantamweight, and uh, he, I think he's going to have an advantage in these scrambles, and I think he's going to have TJ Dillashaw defending a lot of the fight, whether that's in these grappling exchanges, trying to defend submissions, uh, whether that's in the striking where Aljamain Sterling has his death by a thousand cuts uh, volume approach, that's going to make things tricky for a guy who relies a lot on reads and head movement like TJ Dillashaw. Yeah, I think maybe the reason they made Jan and O'Malley is because they think Dillashaw is going to beat Sterling. Which then would line up for a Petter Jan TJ Dillashaw fight. But uh, I think the UFC underestimates Aljamain Sterling at every turn. They, they, and if they had the stats that I'm looking at, I don't think they would be doing that any longer. And that first Petter Jan fight, I called for Aljamain Sterling to win. Then the second one, I called for Petter Jan. But even still, I said, this is like, it's a toss up, it's a 50 50 fight. The analytics are very close. Uh, and the first fight wasn't the greatest representation of what Sterling's capable of. Here, he's getting an easier opponent in TJ Dillashaw, in my perspective. Uh, we, and uh, at 36 years old, freshly turned 36 years old, I don't think that the athletic profile of TJ Dillashaw could be what it is. He's coming off of a, a knee injury that held him out for many months. Uh, and statistically, uh, you look at every single statistical category other than like punching power, and Aljamain Sterling outpaces TJ Dillashaw. And that's with the addition of being a bigger, stronger guy in the octagon. Now, so the main event, this is what we're all waiting for. What are the numbers mm -hmm. looking at Oliver and Makachev? Well, on Tim Talk, I, I gave a little bit of a rundown for uh, uh, the beta one equation. And what I'm doing on Tim Talk is I provide you the perspective of the odds makers. Beta one is a, uh, it's essentially an aggregate of several data points that capture um experience and uh, win rate and um, strength of schedule. And Charles Oliveira by far was the leader in the beta one equation for this uh, card here. And that's largely because of his experience at 33 years old, just turned 33 on Monday, I believe. Charles Oliveira has 41 career fights. That's like two careers. That's two of Islam Makachev's careers, right? Uh, basically in terms of total fights. And people say, oh, he quit. Oh, this happened. Oh, that happened. Well, when you have a career as long as Charles Oliveira, uh, you have to kind of break it off into sample sizes. And if we take this lightweight sample size after the, uh, after the Paul Felder fight, you look at what he's done there. That's like you have to evaluate that in isolation from everything else that's happened to Charles Oliveira because he's been cutting his teeth against really high-level guys for a long time. You look at Khabib Nurmagomedov and Islam Makachev, you look at those early 10 fights in their career, they aren't like Charles Oliveira's early career. So I, I think that's very underestimated about Charles Oliveira. The question here is the methodical um, top position uh, uh, grappling approach of Islam Makachev versus the risk abandon and all-purpose lethality of Charles Oliveira. Uh, and I would say if you're going to bet on somebody winning rounds, Islam Makachev has a great uh, profile to do that. Uh, he's going to land a takedown per round, according to his stats. And he's going to be very uh, – uh, he's going to control the tempo once he gets there. He's not like Khabib Nurmagomedov, 
who just wails on people once he establishes positional dominance. He's very like slow paced in how he goes through his progressions. Uh, and that's not to say he's not very good in that realm. Uh, but Charles Oliveira is going to be hitting him with constant stimuli. He's going to be have to be defending submissions. He's going to have to be defending strikes. There's not going to be periods of rest for Islam Makachev. And I think that a guy like him who likes to work methodically is going to be prone to make more mistakes when he's forced to up the tempo of decision-making. Um, but uh, I, I'll tell you what. I don't believe what uh, Islam Makachev is saying about striking with Oliveira and knocking him down. I'm not buying that one. I think he shoots for a takedown the first 45 seconds of this fight. Which way are you leaning? I'm curious about that because you always seem to favor the wrestlers, Todd. Well, you know, from my experience training, when you get a guy who's really good on top of you, the key in jiu-jitsu is it's hard to tack someone straight on. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to get angles. And when you're smothered, it's hard to turn your body. So I think that's where Oliveira might have some problems if Islam's able to get on top of him. He's going to have to keep those hips live, it, for sure. Yeah, and also as you're getting hit over rounds, you know, you're getting worn out, you know, carrying the guy's mm -hmm. weight. You saw that with, uh, uh, well, you didn't see this fight, but there was one here, actually. Uh, this guy, Shea Conley, he fought a guy, uh, Josh Anderson, here in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. And Shea Conley's a great wrestler. And, uh, you know, Anderson was just sucking in the air out of the arena by the last round, the last couple of rounds. Carrying the guy's weight just mm -hmm. really out. So that's the thing that I'm interested to see is uh, if he does go the ground, as you suspect he will, I'm interested to see how the fight plays out there. Yeah, well, this isn't going to be taking down Dan Hooker, for example. This isn't going to yeah. be taking down Bobby Green. Uh, and... Charles Oliveira, at least we saw in that Kevin Lee fight, his activity level off of his back was tremendous. Um, is Islam Makachev going to be able to neutralize the hips of Charles Oliveira and keep him stationary? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, but I think that Charles Oliveira is going to use his submissions to scramble and try to get back into the striking realm. Uh, contrary to what a lot of people think, he's, I don't believe he's going to be playing a lot of jujitsu. I think he's going to try to knock out Islam Makachev. Uh, and the, 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 but the thing is, Charles Oliveira, most submission wins in UFC history, it's not like we haven't seen Makachev in some questionable positions against lesser grapplers before. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, he, like, nobody's perfect in the sport, and we can all also go back and cite instances where Charles Oliveira got elbows rained on him by Paul Felder, of all people. Uh, but this is by far the toughest fight of Islam Makachev's career. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think we could argue that if this is the toughest opponent that uh, Charles Oliveira has ever fought. Um, not to say that Charles Oliveira has beaten all of his toughest um, opponents, but um, yeah. he's been yeah. in there with a lot of guys. He's big in this fight. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it cracks people's curiosity, you know, the element of the unknown when you have two big unknowns, so, so to speak, um, stylistic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think Charles Oliveira is very much so unknown, but Islam Makachev has had very little resistance so far in his UFC career. And despite having very little resistance, um, we've seen that his durability has come into question. I mean, of course, he got knocked out famously by, I'm blanking on the name, uh, but a nobody. And uh, I think I've seen him uh, wobble in a couple of fights. I think Drew Dober caught him with a good shot. There's been a couple instances where he's been hit with like quick jabs, lead hooks, shots that don't seem that consequential, but seem to catch him like in between things and, and that, that rattled him. Now, 
in most of those fights, he's been able to then drag the, the bout to the ground. Uh, but uh, I am skeptical of the durability of Islam Makachev in a way that I'm not any longer skeptical about the durability of Charles Oliveira. Yeah, that's an interesting point to, to come up with. So what, as far as these fights that we've talked about, what are you looking at? Or is there anything analytically that you're looking at outside of that? Uh, well, I can tell you the bets that I'm interested in that I, that I put down on Tim Talk. I think that, uh, um, and out of the fights we talked, well, I'll just run through uh, all the fights, even the ones we haven't talked about. I've got Bilal beating Sean Brady. I think he's going to do it by decision. Uh, you can lock that in plus 270 or 175 on FanDuel. Um, I got Manon Firo. I don't love that fight for betting purposes. I think she wins a decision. Uh, I think Mataj Gamrot has his coming out party. A lot of people are depressing his capacity after uh, a tough fight with Armin Sarukin. But this is about where his athleticism is really going to shine. I think he gets Benil Dariush out of there inside the distance just based on Mitaj Gamrot's 50% finish rate and the fact that Benil Dariush has struggled some when he stepped up in competition and, uh, and he has that 15% loss by finish rate. He does make mistakes, and he's going to get frustrated in there. Uh, Petr Jan, I have him winning by knockout in rounds two or three. You can lock that in on FanDuel for plus 500. Traditionally a slow starter. Um, I'm curious if we see any grappling from Petr Jan. That was like kind of an under, uh, underrated element of his game that we saw in the first uh, Algermain Sterling fight. Uh, but I think that he warms up in the first round, gets his looks, and then punishes Sean in two and three. Uh, for the Sterling versus Dillashaw fight, I've got Sterling by decision. I think TJ Dillashaw is savvy enough to fight off submission attempts. Aljamain Sterling is not going to knock him out. Uh, but I think TJ Dillashaw is going to be on the defense and, uh, and maybe have Aljamain Sterling on his back for a lot of that fight. Uh, so I got Sterling by decision. Uh, that's like plus 140. You, you can get that. And I have Charles Oliveira inside the distance. He's a prolific finisher, finishes 90-something percent of his fights. If you believe he's going to get this one done, he's not going to do it by decision. Uh, but uh, but I, I do love um, the diversity of Charles Oliveira's skill set. And it, it just speaks to me, the age-adjusted experience here. He's still in the prime of his career at 33 years old. And I do believe that the, that the uh, Makachev team uh, is overlooking a Charles Oliveira a little bit, talking about going to 170, talking about knocking him down. Khabib saying how it's going to be the like the uh, the easiest fight. There's a lot of like um, I, I just don't think they're the, they're processing the proper amount of gravity for this fight. It's a little bit of disrespect to Charles Oliveira, who continuously improves. Um, so yeah, I, I mean I, I know that uh, a lot of sharps are on Islam Makachev, but me as a touter of age-adjusted experience, me as a person who heavily values somebody who goes for the finish relentlessly in a fight. I think that Charles Oliveira is going to give Islam Makachev all he can handle and end up getting the job done inside the distance. Now, age-adjusted experience, that might be a new stat that you... I haven't heard you uh, mention this. Maybe it's, talk a, it, it. it's not quite a stat. I'm trying to properly uh, capture it in, in this statistic. But essentially what age-adjusted experience is, is it's how many fights you have and how old are you. We know that a fighter's prime generally happens between the years of 27 and 33 years old. It's a sport that takes a long time to accumulate experience and match that experience with your physical ability. You might be a better athlete when you're 23 years old, 25 years old, but by the time you've accumulated the skills and you have the mental temperament uh, to handle the highest level of competition, you're generally 27 to 33 years old, at which point generally your athleticism starts to tail off and, uh, and, we, see guy, uh, and we see guys starting to get caught. And that happens over and over again. Guys think like a new generation comes in 
people just lose a step and it's almost imperceptible to the eye, but it bears out in the results uh, over and over again. There's a longstanding pattern there. Uh, but age-adjusted experience, yeah. So how many fights do you have? Are your fights against good competition? And how old are you at this present juncture with all of that experience? Uh, Charles Oliveira is 33 years old. He has 42 fights. Islam Makachev is 30 years old and has 23 fights. Uh, that doesn't mean that Islam Makachev is going to lose, but it means that he's done a hell of a lot less problem solving inside the octagon and dealt with a lot less adversity than Charles Oliveira has. Now, what are some other things you're going to be doing with Scraptitude maybe since last time we talked? Uh, well, some of the things that we've done, like we had our first public uh, fantasy MMA league, which was a big, big success. It was hard to pull together. I, it was all run through spreadsheets, but it has a very unique uh, scoring system that allows you to kind of play the game like you would fantasy football. MMA has been behind in the fantasy sphere because people have failed to make a season-long concept for it. That's something that we devised at Scraptitude. We did a ton of beta testing for it. We introduced it to public leagues, and it was a lot of fun. The only drawback was Jeff, a member of Scraptitude, won the whole damn thing. Which, <laughs> uh, which, uh, uh, so what I, I ended up doing is the, the finalists, I refunded them all their buy-in just to assure that there was nothing uh, uh, below board happening there. But, uh, but, but Jeff really showed out for, for the Scraptitude brand there, um, both his knowledge of the scoring system and his, uh, and his aptitude for picking uh, winning fights. But that's something that we're hoping to offer as premium content uh, for, for, our, uh, for our website to be, our data analytics website to be. Our goal is to be players both in the um, mixed martial arts analytics sphere, which is our primary focus right now. We want to be providing people with cutting-edge information that improves their decision-making and helps them better understand the sport through the math that defines it. And then we're working on, uh, which, is, which is a bigger project just in terms of the groundwork you have to lay to make it possible, having this fantasy MMA happen in a, in a system that's a little more automated, that doesn't require personal, uh, so much personal oversight like me, me managing this last public offering. But we are looking to have a public league in 2023, and people that are interested in that can hit me up on Twitter at Timothy E. Lewis. Just, you know, ask me about it. I'll, I'll put you in. Uh, and uh, leagues are generally three divisions, five, five teams per division, uh, so 15 people total. There's a regular season. There's a postseason. And you don't compete head-to-head. -head. You're competing with everybody simultaneously. But there are weekly adjustments you have to make. Roster ads, roster drops, waiver claims, all of those things that if you've competed in other fantasy sports now tr uh, transition to the MMA realm. Now, have you come up with any new uh, nicknames for people? New nicknames for people. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me think about that. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I know that there have been some, I'll tell you what, uh, Leon Edwards certainly, uh, certainly, um, what was it? Removed the proverbial skin of leftover Leon Edwards, like a snake would shed its skin with his decapitating of Kamaru Usman, a fight that I did predict correctly using the power of the Scrapitude analytics. Uh, that's kind of funny. Like people hear my rhetoric, my banter, and they assume that I was uh, calling for Leon Edwards to get trounced. But I recognize the place of age-adjusted experience. I saw his statistical profile. Kamaru Usman th at 35 years old. I, he looked good in the fight. But, uh, you know, the, these declines happen incrementally, and it only takes a moment of exploitation. And Leon Edwards was there for it. Uh, but other nicknames, uh, I, I'd have to put more thought into that. Um, I, I'm kind of right now very much so in my data analytics uh, mindset as opposed to my, uh, um, you know, the, the hyperbolic way that I can also be in my approach to the sport.
And how hyped for you are you for this pay per view? It's one of the best in recent memory. Two eighty one is going to be really good as well. But this one, I skipped UFC two eighty nine for Tim Talk. I didn't do any data for it, and I'm glad I didn't because they changed all the fights in the last minute. Uh, th but I took my focus from then and placed it on this card. So I have had like a month plus of preparation for this one. The data was cataloged weeks before I recorded. I mean, if that doesn't speak to my excitement, uh, I, I don't know what does. Like the, the, the work almost gets done for me uh, when we have a card like this and fights that are this compelling. I had a hard time trimming it to just six fights on Tim Talk 280 uh, because there's so many good fights on the card. It's, it was really hard to, uh, to narrow it down. But yes, I'm, I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. I hope my guy, Sean Brady, gets it done. Uh, Philly guy, don't think he will. But the, the, uh, the Gamrock coming out party, Charles Oliveira providing further vindication for the analytics we're using against, um, uh, you know, it's hard to know what to make of Islam Makachev. I'm not, that, that's something that I'd like to know. Everybody calls him the heir apparent to Khabib. Like he's this protege. He's the next one up. But really, there's only been one dominant Dagestani champion, and that is Khabib Nurmagomedov in the UFC anyhow. How do you view uh, Islam Makhachev through this prism uh, of being a protege, being in the same camp, being a Dagestani with a grappling prowess? What do you make of it all? And how does he stack up to his predecessor, Khabib Nurmagomedov? Uh, I mean, he might have a little bit of a different style, but it's just what it's effective, you know? Um, Can't deny that. It's just like you talked about Ankalaev, who's going to fight down the road, which I'm sure mm -hmm. you'll but. There's just something about these guys, you know, that they they don't lose very much, you know, in total. Oh, yeah, and, you look at the win-loss. Yeah, it's insane. The win-loss is ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to – that's what I'm interested in. I want to see the ground exchange between these two guys. That's really what I'm interested in seeing. So, yeah, it's going to be – you know. Doubt for a second there. I hit my social media limit. <laughs> okay. yeah it's just like you talk I like hearing you talk about just the analytics because it kind of just splits things into mm -hmm. rather than people talking from emotion and stuff because I really don't get emotionally involved either I'm more interested in, in the technique yeah you know? yeah exactly like I a lot of people are just fans of certain guys of the sport and really mm -hmm. my fandom is like, I love the problem-solving aspect of the sport. I love watching these guys' problems. I mean, there's some guys I'm always going to hate on, like TJ Dillashaw, for example. Um, but I, I can still recognize his skill profile, um, and I can still tout aspects of it uh, through the analytics. Uh, uh, but uh, it has made me a different kind of fan of the sport, and it's why I've become such a big fan of Charles Oliveira. Uh, I mean, there's the human aspect of being a person that can – both in life and in the sport, overcome adversity after adversity. Uh, and then there's the problem solving of it all. Like, it's not just what you've done, but who you've done it against. And Charles Oliveira's solved a lot of different problems. This is a unique problem. It's a newer problem. But I also think we're going to see aspects of Charles Oliveira's game that we haven't had a lot of opportunity to witness. And I don't think that there's any lack of preparation in terms of grappling acumen. Yeah, he brought in that Iranian. He's had, apparently had that guy there for three years for his wrestling. He's been out wrestling everybody. Now, they've been a bunch of strikers, uh, but, but he has been the dominant wrestler in a lot of fights now. Let's see how that transpired. If he does have any capacity to stuff the takedown. Um, because uh, he's great in the clinch. Like, Charles Oliveira is a very, very good fighter in tight. 
and it's going to be messy in there for Islam Makhachev. He's going to be shooting from far out. You give Charles Oliveira a front head lock, lock position or something like that. Uh, you give him a Darce, whatever. Like, that's a bad man right there. And uh, Islam Makhachev, back, back to that sentiment, it's not what you've done, but who you've done it against. Uh, he has a lot to prove in that respect. Uh, he has a lot to prove. And now, where can people kind of check out Scraptitude? Yeah, uh, I would say the best place to hit us up is on Twitter. Um, we have an Instagram here, both of them at Scraptitude. We don't update the content as much on the Instagram. We like the type of engagement we get on Twitter. Um, you can see uh, podcast clips on there. Uh, you can, I mean, you can really get fed to all of our information. We have a, a link there that, that'll hook you up with where to find our podcast, where to find any articles, where to find, um, you know, all, all the good stuff. And you can also find me at Timothy E. Lewis. I'm always talking fights. Like, uh, my goal here is for this to, to, to be my life. So uh, I'm so invested in this stuff. It would drive a lot of people insane. The type of information that, 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 that I've canvassed, that I've created, just to become better at what I want to do. Uh, like, I'm not trying to, like, build myself up. But a lot of things that I'm doing here are somewhat unprecedented. Or, like, there's very few people that are doing this. And even less people that are just providing the information here through the public mediums that anyone can access. So if you're interested in this game and you want to become a better analyst, you want to have more informed decision-making, listen to Tim talk, uh, follow Scrappitude, hit me up uh, because uh, you're going to get, at, at the very least, you're going to get perspective to consider. That's going to make you more privy come fight night. Yeah, I agree. That's why I brought you on so long ago because I thought a lot of the stuff you are doing was a unique. You saw it early. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, there's no doubt what you say. There, even now, I don't really see many guys doing it unless I just haven't come across them. There's guys that like sell data sheets event by event. They're looking to make a few bucks or whatever. I'll tell you what, it's a tough industry. There's a lot of uh, content creators, and uh, it, there and there's a lot of young people that are interested in this sport. And so it's about some of these people maturing and wanting to view it through like a, a more typical sports lens. Uh, there's like a lot of like. Um, like people that are fans of the theatrics, a lot of people that are fans of the, um, uh, you know, the personalities, all those kinds of things. But as the sport evolves, these analytics, just like analytics are a part of every sport, are going to become more and more ingratiated with the, uh, uh, with the, uh, the casual dialogue. Uh, and you're going to be saying things like, oh, this person's significant strike differential. This person's win rate. This person's, uh, you know, you're going to, you're just, these are going to be the common ways that you assess who a fighter is and what they're good at. Um, because right now there's a lot of subjectivity and a lot of people talking that rah-rah, uh, but there's not a lot of like uh, points that we can uniformly agree on because they're objective. That's what I'm seeking to do, provide objective information that improves decision-making in the context of mixed martial arts. And there's a lot in the pipeline that we have. Uh, there's a lot of things that we're going to accomplish in these next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I know it's like UFC brought their own like uh, gambling expert and all that. Yeah, what I mean, the Greek, is that who that is? Yeah, who is this guy? I don't know. I don't know. He gives me the heebie-jeebies on there. Hit up your boy Tim UFC. I got you. Like, if they would give me the opportunity to revamp uh, the UFC stats website, it would be, it, like, they have no business with the, the with the, like, it, their website looks impoverished. It looks like some third-world analytics. Um, like, they, they, they deserve better. And if they want better, I'm your guy. Yeah, I'll be sure to mention that. <laughs> yeah, whoever your people are. You've got people, Todd. I know you've got yeah, people. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. See if we could do something. But uh, Well, I'm one of your people now, Todd.
Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was on, like I said, I caught you early as far as the analytics and all that stuff you're doing. Well, well man, it's a pleasure. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's always good to hear your straight, straight <laughs> shooting on the analytics and everything. And I appreciate you taking the time. And I'm so good. grateful. Yeah, I'm so grateful to be on the Todd Atkins show, man. It's uh, it's always great, and nobody uh, sets the stage, asks the questions. And has the genuine curiosity that I find with you, Todd. Like you're you're even keeled. You 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 just have a genuine love and curiosity for the sport, and it's it's kind of rare. A lot of people have like like it's about it's about them as much as it's about the sport. For you, it's all about the pureness of this competition. Right. Well, man, I appreciate it. It's great catching up with you, and maybe we'll have to do something with Uncle Live when he. Oh, Jan, Jan Blahovich, Magomed Ankalaev. I love both of those fighters, but you're going to know which way I'm leaning. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to link for that one, Todd. All right, man. We'll all take right, care. Easy. Yeah, appreciate you. All right. Have a great weekend, all right? You too. Also, okay, so if you liked uh, Tim Lewis's uh, information, you can follow him at... Uh, Twitter, that's where he's at a lot. And it's Timothy E. Lewis. That's Timothy E. Lewis on Twitter. And as always, you can follow me at uh, on Instagram at the underscore Todd underscore Atkins underscore show. And you'll find my content there, shorter videos, live interviews, things like that. Uh, so appreciate you uh, taking a look at that. And uh, also subscribe to my YouTube, which is Todd Atkins show. And uh, just please uh, subscribe, support my stuff. It's all free. Um, I'm not going to charge for it. And uh, I thank you for your support. And as always, I'll be uploading more stuff soon. Lots of episodes.